mountains will rise and fall. The world will feel like it's crumbling around us. There will be times where we feel unable to carry on. Our most trusted people will hurt us. But God is still in control. God is still good. God is still providing. God is still faithful. Our God has been, is, and will be the greatest strength in our lives. We can be still because God still is. All right, good morning again. Uh, If you have your Bible with you, go ahead and open up to Daniel chapter 7. Back in early July, we started this series uh, going through the Old Testament book of Daniel. And what we're calling this series, we're calling it Still. And we've heard the, really the tagline, the theme of this series of this book of Daniel each and every week in that video. But I do want to read it again because it's just, it's so important for us to not only remember, but, but to believe. It's this, that our God has been, is, and will be the greatest strength of our lives. We can rest in him. We can be still because God still is. And I think Steve, uh, just a few moments ago, leading us through that prayer in Psalm 100 is just another reminder of God's power and his grace toward us. Uh, the book of Daniel, it's 12 chapters long. And last week, we went through chapter 6. Pastor Brad Kidder was here uh, from River City Church over in Grand Rapids, and he took us uh, through a pretty famous chapter in the Old Testament. It was Daniel's experience in the lion's den. Uh, And in Daniel chapter 6, we saw really how God was at work, not only in in Daniel's life and preserving him um, and putting him in a place of prominence within this new kingdom, uh, but we also saw God's really providential work in the life of King Darius uh, as well. But chapter 7, where we are today, it really marks the halfway point of the book of Daniel. And it's it's at this point of Daniel that the structure and the genre of the book changes drastically. If you were to continue reading Daniel, thinking that it was going to be like the first six chapters, you would be very confused (laughs) very quickly. Um, Because so far, what's happened, uh, chapters 1 through 6 has really been historical narrative, right? It's been historical events that have been reported. We'll read a chapter and we'll see these events happening. We'll see things happening to Daniel or Daniel's friends or, or these kings in Babylon, right? And we'll see things happen. We'll see God's hand of sovereignty and everything that's going on. But in chapter 7 through 12, we're going to see something different. The following chapters, what they are, they are apocalyptic visions that Daniel had during his time living in Babylon in chapters 1 through 6. And we're going to see this as we go along. If you read the Bible carefully and you read it thoughtfully, you'll notice that it kind of gives you clues as to how to read whatever part of the Bible you're reading. And in the next few chapters, we're going to see in the very first verses of each of these chapters, things like this. In the first year of King Belshazzar, or in the first year of King Darius, or in the third year of King Cyrus. Those are ways that Daniel's telling us when this vision came to him. And we're going to see the description of the vision, but then we're also going to see the interpretation of them as well. And so it's really important for us to always know the context of the Bible, of what part of the Bible that we're reading, because that's going to really help us understand the truth that it's trying to, to convey to us. And the purpose of these ap- apocalyptic visions that were given to Daniel are to reassure God's people that in spite of their present persecution and in spite of their present suffering, that God is still in control. 
and that God will ultimately be victorious. You know, this truth is really encouraging for us because I don't know about you, but in times of suffering and in times of hardship, those are the moments of my life where clinging to hope and clinging to truth are the most difficult. And remember the context of the book of Daniel. Remember who it was written to. It was written to Jews who had been exiled in Babylon. And Daniel was among these Jewish people. I imagine for them, continuing to believe that God was sovereign, that he was in control, that they were there because of his purposes and his plan for them. I just have to imagine that that was more difficult each and every year they spent there. Many of those Jewish people who, who walked to Babylon in exile, they died there. They were there for 70 years. And many people who eventually walked out of Babylon, they were born in exile. But the visions given in the rest of Daniel were words that God had given them of assurance of his purpose and his plan. That even though earthly kingdoms, they rise and they fall, there is an eternal kingdom that will be established and it will be ruled by a perfect king that will last forever. And that's what we're going to see here in Daniel chapter 7 uh, today. So go ahead, flip open to Daniel 7. Uh, if you're there already, great. If not, go ahead and do that. Uh, before we get into the text, I want to give us an overview and a strategy, okay, of, of how we should approach this chapter. So in my study uh, over the past couple of weeks of this chapter of Daniel 7, a couple of commentators had written this. One had said, it is the single most important chapter in the book of Daniel. Its position is pivotal, both in terms of the architecture of the book and as a whole in terms of its brilliance of the vision of which it contains. Another commentator wrote this, once convinced of the truth this chapter is proclaiming, the reader is in possession to the keys of history. Chapter 7, it breaks down in a fairly simple way. Uh, the first half of it is Daniel describing this vision. Um, he's kind of laying it out for us. He's just saying, hey, this is what I saw. But then the second half is the interpretation uh, that was given to Daniel by an angel. And we get a clue as to the content of this dream. And you know, if you, when you go to sleep and you wake up in the morning, you can kind of know um, how, the, what kind of dream you had by kind of how you wake up. Sometimes you wake up and you're scared, or maybe it was a nightmare, and, and sometimes you're not. But the type of vision Daniel had, we see, comes here in Daniel 7, verse 15. We already heard this, but it says this. As for me, Daniel, my spirit was deeply distressed within me. The visions in my mind terrified me. I approached one of those who were standing by and asked him to clarify all this. So he let me know the interpretation of these things. The dream that we're going to dive into that Daniel had terrified him. It was intense. It was vivid. It was distressing. He woke up and he was just out of breath. He was scared. He was frightened. And what we're going to do this morning uh, is we're going to actually jump back and forth from the description of the dream to the interpretation. So it's going to, if you're following along, <laughs> try and keep up. All the verses are going to be up there, but we're going to be going back and forth, back and forth. But then at the end, what we're going to do is we're going to consider what all this means for us today as followers of Jesus. So that's the overview. But now, how should we approach this chapter? Here's the strategy. It's going to be really important for us to remember the context, to remember the purpose of these verses we're about to read. You know, oftentimes when we read the Bible, we can easily miss the point <laughs> of the text if we're looking for it to communicate something that it doesn't communicate or say something that it doesn't say. We need to know the intent, right? And this can be challenging with apocalyptic prophecy. But I really like how Pastor David Mathis 
explained it. He said this about Daniel's vision in chapter 7. These prophecies are not meant to turn readers into investigators, but to inspire faith and hope and worship, to help us live in the present and to instill confidence in us for however the specific forms of these visions become reality in the future. So as we go through chapter 7, both in the description and the interpretation, let's remember what this vision, what this word of God is meant to do for us today. It's meant to inspire faith and hope and worship. It's meant to instill confidence in us in his sovereignty, in God's power, in his rule, and his control over creation, and his love for us, his love for his people. Okay, enough of that. We're getting into it. Daniel 7, verse 1 says this, in the first year of King Belshazzar of Babylon, Daniel had a dream with visions in his mind as he was lying in his bed. He wrote down the dream, and here is the summary of his account. Daniel said, in my vision at night, I was watching, and suddenly the four winds of heaven stirred up the great sea. Four huge beasts came up from the sea, each different from the other. Okay, so at the very beginning of this, this we, we're given the context, right? We're given when this vision came to Daniel. And it was during the first year of King Belshazzar of Babylon, okay? So if you've been with us in this series, you've seen King Nebuchadnezzar, you've met King Belshazzar and King Darius. King Belshazzar was who we saw in Daniel chapter five. Belshazzar was the king who was having that crazy party and he ordered that all the gold and silver vessels that Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple in Jerusalem to be brought to him so that he and his friends could drink wine out of them. He had reduced these Jewish objects of worship to red solo cups at a college party. I mean, this was a terrible idea that he did. And we saw God's judgment of Belshazzar in that, that very night. It was the writing on the wall right? That the floating hand and Belshazzar turned pale. He didn't know what to do. And God's judgment happened that night. Belshazzar was killed and the Babylonian kingdom was taken over. But this vision is happening before all that happened. This is in the first year of King Belshazzar's reign. So that's kind of the timing that Daniel is receiving this vision. He's a, he's a governor, or he's kind of a, one of these people in Babylon. He's got some power from what he did for Nebuchadnezzar, but this is where he is. This is what's happening. And we see that Daniel had this dream that night while he slept. And here, he begins describing it for us. He says the setting of his dream is the great sea, the chaos of a great sea and four huge beasts come out of this ocean. And already from this description, right, we know this is going to be an ominous dream. And we see this right from where it's taking place, the great sea. Throughout the Bible, if you're familiar uh, with, the, with the biblical text, you'll see that the sea often represents chaos and it represents disorder. We see this in Genesis as the sea represented chaos and order that God brought control over as he created. We see it in Revelation 21, when the new heavens and the new earth are here, and it says the sea has passed away. We see this is symbolic, that the chaos and the sin and disorder of, of, of the sea being gone. And from the chaos of the great sea, four huge beasts arise from it. Let's see Daniel describe these beasts in verse 4. The first beast was like a lion, but had eagle's wings. I continued watching until its wings were torn off. It was lifted up from the ground, set on its feet like a man, and given a human mind. Suddenly another beast appeared, a second one that looked like a bear. It was raised up on one side with three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. It was told, get up, gorge yourself on flesh. 
After this, while I was watching, suddenly another beast appeared. It was like a leopard with four wings of a bird on its back. It had four heads and it was given dominion. Okay, we're going to stop here. We see the first three beasts described. One more is going to be described in the next verse. But later on in verse 17, the interpretation of this part, the angel says this. It says, these huge beasts, four in number, are four kings who will rise from the earth. So that first beast we see uh, in Daniel's dream is kind of this hybrid animal that doesn't really exist, right? This, this communicates chaos, too. This isn't part of God's good created order. These are combinations of animals, the lion with eagle's wings. And the most common interpretation is that this first beast was representative of Babylon, of King Nebuchadnezzar. The rule of Babylon was often symbolized by a lion or an eagle. You know, there's actually a statue called the Lion of Babylon that some historians think was commissioned by Nebuchadnezzar uh, during his reign. We read all about him in the first four chapters of Daniel. If you've missed any of those messages, go back and listen to those. But in Daniel chapter four, it's amazing what God does. God humbles Nebuchadnezzar and then he restores him. And it's thought here that in the text, when it says the tearing off of the wings and being set back on his feet and given a human mind is kind of symbolizing that. But the next beast appears in verse 5. And this one's a little bit, it, this one's just, it's a bear, so it's a little bit more familiar. But this one's thought to represent the Media Persian Empire that conquered the Babylonians. We saw this start in Daniel chapter 5. And, and, but remember, we aren't given the specifics. We don't know. It doesn't explicitly tell us that. So we don't have those details. Uh, some people think that the bear being raised up on one side was how Persia was stronger and the, the ribs were the earthly kingdoms, all that stuff. But then in verse 6, we find another beast that's even worse. It's this leopard with four wings on its back. And we see something said about this beast that wasn't said about the other ones, that it was given dominion. If you notice that the power and the fear of these beasts in their descriptions is kind of escalating as it goes. And history suggests that this empire was Greece and Alexander the Great. I mean, this empire moved swiftly through earthly kingdoms and it conquered much of the known world. They conquered the Media Persian Empire in 330 BC. Okay, so these three beasts, as the angel said in verse 17, they're representative of earthly kings, of earthly rulers. But then we see the fourth beast. This is what it says in verse 7. After this, while I was watching in the night visions, suddenly a fourth beast appeared, frightening and dreadful and incredibly strong with large iron teeth. It devoured and crushed and it trampled with its feet whatever was left. It was different from all the beasts before it and it had 10 horns. While I was considering the horns, suddenly another horn, a little one came up among them and three of the first horns were uprooted before it. And suddenly in this horn, there were eyes like the eyes of a human and a mouth that was speaking arrogantly. This picture that we have in our minds is, an, is a nightmare. I mean, isn't it? I mean, this is the final beast in Daniel's dream. And it's the worst of all. It isn't even described as an animal. It's not described as any created thing that, that God had made. It's, it's described as frightening and dreadful, strong iron teeth. It devours, crushes, and tramples whatever is in its way. It's got all these horns on it. It's got 10 horns. And then another one has human eyes and a mouth. It's this crazy picture. But here's what an angel tells Daniel about this fourth beast in verse 23. This is what he said. The fourth beast will be a fourth kingdom on the earth, different from all the other kingdoms. It will devour the whole earth, trample it down, and crush it. The 10 horns or 10 kings who will rise from this kingdom 
Another king, different from the previous ones, will rise after them and subdue three kings. He will speak words against the Most High and oppress the holy ones of the Most High. He will intend to change religious festivals and laws, and the holy ones will be handed over to, to him for a time, times, and half a time. Okay, so this text tells us that this fourth beast, representative of a fourth earthly kingdom, it's going to be more powerful and different than all the others that we've already seen. You know, many think that this beast started with, with Rome, the Roman Empire, and has kind of continued on with other rulers and kingdoms past Rome. But we see something about this beast that it's adamantly against God and against the people of God. Look at verse 25. It says, he will speak words against the Most High and he will oppress the Holy Ones of the Most High. Earlier, it says that this beast made war with the Holy Ones. We can see why this vision frightened Daniel, can't we? You know, what we see in this dream is, is, is a picture of world history, right? Of how earthly kingdoms, they rise up and they rule in ways that are against God, that are against his ways and his people. But God, in his sovereignty, he allows this to happen. This is only the first scene of the dream. This isn't everything. And Daniel sees a, a scene change happen right after this. And this is in verse 9. The sea is gone, but then something else is in view. Look at what it says, verse 9. As I kept watching, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white like snow, and his hair, and the hair of his head was like whitest wool. His throne was flaming fire. Its wheels were blazing fire. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from his presence. Thousands upon thousands served him. 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court was convened, and the books were opened. So it's instead now of the great sea and the beasts that, that Daniel was looking at, he's looking at a courtroom. And we, he sees thrones that were put in place. And he sees God, the Ancient of Days, take his seat to execute his judgment. The Ancient of Days is another name for God, and it communicates his eternality, his, his power, his, his bigness, his sovereignty. He is the Alpha and the Omega. God is the beginning and the end. Look at how he's described in the stream. His clothing was white like snow. His hair was like the whitest wool. His throne was on fire with flames. And there's a river of fire flowing from his presence. You can't look at this picture of God and not see his perfection and his purity in these descriptions. And not only do we see God, but we see a multitude of God's servants there as well. The text says 10,000 times 10,000. Before you get your calculators out, that number is 100 million. Okay, that's a lot. It's meant to communicate an incredible amount. Servants of God are there to, to witness his decisive and complete judgment of evil. That's about to happen. Verse 11, it says this. I watched then because of the sound of the arrogant words the horn was speaking. As I continued watching, the beast was killed and its body destroyed and given over to the burning fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was removed, but an extension of life was granted to them for a certain period of time. So as God, the Ancient of Days, takes his seat on the throne, the little horn on that fourth beast, it just starts talking. And the words that he says are arrogant and they're prideful and they're against God and his ways. And we've seen pride and arrogance as a theme, right? That's kind of been a, 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 a sin we've seen in these rulers in Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar uh, in the book of Daniel, how these earthly kings and kingdoms, they often rise up and they accredit their rule and their power to themselves. 
But as this is happening in the vision, God acts decisively. He executes judgment on this beast and all the other ones. And notice what happens here. This is not like a war scene from a movie where you watch good versus evil play out on a battlefield. Like in my head, when I think of that, I picture the Lord of the Rings, right? The return of the king, the final battle. Uh, And where you're watching it on the edge of your seat and you're wondering, oh my gosh, is good going to conquer evil? What's going to happen? That's not this chapter. That's not what happens in Daniel 7. It's not a battle. It's it's, It's a swift and complete judgment of evil by God, like that. The Ancient of Days. It's no contest. These four treacherous beasts that Daniel described are no match for him. God has allowed them uh, to rule, to have power on earth, and he is able to end it whenever he wants. And here again, we see a theme of the book of Daniel that we've seen every single week. It's God's sovereignty, his total power, his total control over creation. Nothing happens outside of his knowledge or his power or his understanding. So here, in his judgment, we see dominion taken from this fourth and final beast. But as the vision continues, we see where this dominion is given. It's given to someone else. Verse 13, I continued watching. This is Daniel. I continued watching in the night visions, and suddenly one like a son of man was coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was escorted before him. He was given dominion and glory and a kingdom so that those of every people, nation, and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. Verse 27, his kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all rulers will serve and obey him. After this fourth beast is is defeated and, and judged, the dominion and rule is given from the Ancient of Days to someone else. Verse 13 tells us they calls him one like the Son of Man. He was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. And his kingdom is different than every other one that has ever arisen in the earth. Because this one will be everlasting. It will never pass away. It will not be destroyed. It's going to be ruled by a perfect king. This Son of Man. So as we read this passage today with our Bibles in front of us, our minds may go to what the New Testament says about this Son of Man. But what about Daniel? He received this vision 500 years before the events of the New Testament. What must Daniel have thought as he saw this happening? Who is this human king, this Son of Man, that's going to be given this everlasting kingdom from God himself? Well, this is the one to whom the Old Testament history and prophets pointed to. I wonder if Daniel remembered the promise God made to Daniel in 2 Samuel chapter 7, about 400 years before this vision that he received. This is 2 Samuel chapter 7, starting in verse 13. I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he will be my son. My faithful love will never leave him. Your house and kingdom will endure before me forever, and your throne will be established forever. The most common way that Jesus referred to himself in the New Testament, in the Gospels, was the Son of Man. He said it 81 different times in all the Gospel accounts. And we're going to unpack that a little bit in just a minute. But before we do that, don't miss who's present with this Son of Man as he receives his eternal kingdom. It's the holy ones, it's those who believe. Verse 21, look at what it says. 
as I was watching, the horn waged war against the holy ones and was prevailing over them until the Ancient of Days arrived and a judgment was given in favor of the holy ones and the Most High. For the time had come and the holy ones took possession of the kingdom. The future kingdom that Jesus will rule over will be filled with those who believe in his name, those who have turned from their sin, who have accepted the forgiveness and life offered by his death on the cross for them. The church, the redeemed people of God will play a pivotal role in the future, everlasting kingdom ruled by Jesus. And look at what it says in verse 27 and 28, the last verses of this vision. The kingdom, dominion, and greatness of the kingdoms under all of heaven will be given to the people, the holy ones of the most high. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom and all rulers will serve and obey him. Not only will will we be part of this eternal kingdom that Jesus is the king over, but the kingdoms of the earth will be given to those who believe. Every ruler will serve and obey Jesus. Can you picture that? The greater and eternal king. In Daniel chapter 8, uh, Daniel has another vision, and we see a similar structure. Daniel has, he has this dream of a, of a ram and a goat, and this angel interprets it for him. And it's a dream very similar to what we see in, in chapter 7, how earthly kingdoms are, are ruling and persecuting the people of God, but then it ultimately ends in God's timing and his power. We don't have time to get into Daniel chapter 8 today. We're going to be in Daniel chapter 9 next week. But this week, in your own study with your, with your life group or with your family, I would encourage you to read Daniel chapter 8. Carve out some time, grab a study Bible, dive deep into that chapter. But let's stay in chapter 7 for a moment. And as we do that, let's remember again the context of this vision, this book of Daniel. This book was God's words written through Daniel to the Jewish people in exile in Babylon. So remembering that, what would this vision have meant to those people? It would have been a comfort to them. It would have communicated God's power and his rule that even though they were under a current earthly kingdom in Babylon, that they would remember that God was in control, that his purposes are never thwarted, that there would be a future kingdom where instead of an evil king, a perfect holy king would rule forever. You know, as that chapter would would have encouraged these people who were living there in that time, it's meant to do the same for us as followers of Jesus today. God's sovereignty, his power, his rule, they continue at this very moment. As we look forward with anticipation to that eternal kingdom that Jesus, the son of man, will rule, we are gonna continue to experience present hardship and pain and suffering. It was no different for the Jewish people walking through exile. God's word was meant to help them and help us. Look forward to the day when God will act with finality to the evil and sin in the world. I said a little bit earlier that Jesus' favorite title for himself in the Gospels was the Son of Man. 81 different times we see him say it. And one of the most powerful times he did this was in Matthew chapter 26. When Jesus was preparing to to go to the cross and, and, and pay for our sins in his crucifixion. And part of that terrible ordeal that Jesus went through was when he stood before the Sanhedrin. And these were the Jewish, the Jewish ruling council, really, and the high priest. His name was Caiaphas. And we see they're, they're grilling Jesus. They're asking him all these questions. And we see what they're doing here in Matthew chapter 26, starting in verse 59. It says this, The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for false testimony against Jesus so they could put him to death. 
but they could not find any, even though many false witnesses came forward. Finally, two came forward, stated, this man said, I can destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. The high priest, that's Caiaphas, stood up and said to him, don't you have an answer to what these men are testifying against you? But Jesus kept silent. The high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God, tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. So at this point, the Pharisees and the high priest, they were fed up with Jesus, with his teachings, with his miracles, with his taking followers away from them. And they charged him, okay, enough is enough. Tell us, are you the Messiah? Jesus answers the question with one sentence, verse 64. You have said it, Jesus told him, but I tell you in the future, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Now to be clear, Jesus isn't avoiding the question. He's answering the high priest. And he does so with scripture that undoubtedly this high priest would have known. Jesus quotes Daniel 7, verse 13. He's calling to mind the vision God gave one of his prophets 500 years earlier. And all up until this point, remember what Jesus was calling himself? Son of man, son of man, son of man. Right after this, the high priest tore his robes and he accused Jesus of blasphemy, of equating himself with God. And the trial continued and it eventually ended where Jesus died on a cross for our sins. But what Jesus said was true. He is the son of man. He is the one seated at the right hand of God at this very moment interceding for us. And he is the one that will come in the future after God's judgment and rule over his eternal and everlasting kingdom. So what do we do with Daniel 7? As followers of Jesus today, how do we, how do we deal with this text as we walk out of here in just a little bit? You know, I, I, this isn't one of those sermons, just so you know, where there's a list of applications. <laughs> there's not a lot. It's like, okay, now do these seven things. Daniel 7, it's an apocalyptic prophecy that reminds us of God's ultimate power, his rule, and his control. But if there's one thing we can do this week that we see this text bring forward is that we would rest in the truth of God's sovereignty. As we walk through everything that comes our way, the good, the bad, the hopeful, the hopeless, the blessings, the trials, that we would remember God is good, that he's sovereign, that nothing in this world is out of his control, that his purposes and his plans, they always come to pass. Where in your life, right now, Sunday morning, where do you need to trust in the sovereignty of God? Where do you need to remember God's goodness, his power, his, his rule? Is it in your marriage? Is it in your parenting? Is it in your career? Is it with your health? Is it in your relationships? Is it in your gospel witness to friends, to neighbors, to family? Wherever it is, I hope that this vision in Daniel, where we see God's ultimate power and his ultimate rule, my hope is that reminds you that even though this world that we live in today can seem chaotic and out of control, 
We serve a God who is not those things. He is supreme. He's powerful. And he is for us. This week, as we work, as we play, as we laugh, as we mourn, my hope is that the truth of God's sovereignty continues to guide our steps, our thoughts, our, our words, and our very lives. Let's pray. God, I do first want to thank you for your word. It is a gift to us, Lord, that you have given us a written record of your words to us so we can know you, we can know ourselves, we can know where true everlasting life is found, and we can know how to deal with life in this world today. God, in your sovereignty, you allow rulers and kingdoms to rise and rule, and these rulers, they often don't worship you, they often don't serve you. But God, we look forward with anticipation to the day when your lasting, eternal kingdom will be here. And then the Son of Man will come and rule perfectly, where sin will be no more. God, as we look at Daniel 7 this morning, God, my hope is that we are brought to a place of rest that wherever our, our worries, our anxieties, our troubles are, God, that we can rest, that you are for us, and that you know those even more intimately than we do, and that it's your desire that we would turn to you, that we would trust you with our very lives. God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his life and his death and his resurrection. And God, we thank you that he is, a, is the good and better eternal king that loves us. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.